Today, uh, Abba gave me instructions. Uh, we were in Zambia last week and we had a tremendous time with Bishop Banda and the North Mead Church and with the assignment that we went to do. God, God really gave us a tremendous time. And Abba instructed me that uh, I need to preach that same word here because we need it here and it's a very timely word. And so I'm going to share with you the word that was intended for Zambia. Yeah? But I think uh, the Lord, the Lord, uh, uh, it's not for Zambia. It's for God's people. It's a kingdom word, and I think it's a, a timely word. So we just ran through this in Amarinya, but and we had a wonderful time with it. But that's no indication of what's going to happen now. There is a, you know, Beza for the minister. Beza Church. It's it's really a place of different flows. It, it, you know, the the cultural language, everything, the dynamics of the two services. It's quite an adventure. It gives you like a, a whiplash. But today, regardless, we will live different from the way that we came in today because God is here and God is after his people. And I believe God has a word for somebody. Let's go very quickly to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 17. And we're going to read all the way to verse 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you, you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude or in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truth. Each man should be, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I wanted to emphasize verse 23. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Uh, the King James Version says, to be made new in the spirit of of your minds. But I like the NIV here. It says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This thing of the, being made new in the attitude of, of your minds is a powerful thing. I was reading through this some time back and it kind of got my attention. And I have found actually the more I search myself, this verse right here, being made new in the attitude of my mind, is perhaps my biggest struggle as a believer. But it's also the place of the greatest victory for the believer. And today we're going to explore what it means to be made new in the attitude of our mind. This verse is a close cousin of Romans chapter 12, which tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? But it's a little bit different if you pick out the wording. It does not say to be transformed in our minds, but to be transformed in the attitude or spirit of our minds. We're dealing with two different things here. We're dealing with not just what our minds are thinking, but with the attitude of our mind. Two different things. The attitude of your minds in simple language, it's basically what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about. It's not what I'm thinking about. 
It's what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about. Turn to your neighbor and say, what I'm thinking about, what I'm thinking about. I'm not joking. That's what your attitude is. All right. Now, the Bible does not say be made new in your minds, but be made new in the attitude of your minds. Do not be made new in your thinking. Be made new in the what you're thinking about what you're thinking. If you really analyze and study yourself, you will find that that's the place of your greatest breakthrough and your greatest challenge. <laughs> Our life flows not out of what we are thinking, about, but about what we are thinking about what we're thinking. It, this deals with issues of processing, analyzing, how we synthesize information, how we interpret events. It's not about what we're thinking, but it's about how we're thinking. And God is telling us that we are to be made new in that department right there. Because that is what has final say for our lives. Amen? That's the place of great power. That's the place of, of great victory. In fact, that's the place where everything else will flow out of. The attitude of your mind. Amen? Yeah. It's not information that messes us up. It's our interpretation of the information that messes us up. It's our attitude that messes us up. Amen? I'll give you an example. Elijah heard the word from Jezebel, which says, you will be dead by tomorrow. He heard that word. That's just the information. But he began to interpret. And the interpretation caused him to run for 40 days. And after he had run for 40 days, he found a cave and ran into the cave. Are you following what I'm saying? It's not just what was said. It's how he con his conclusion. What he said about what he said. What he thought about what he said. The attitude of his mind. Your victory, your defeat is not in what you're thinking. It's what you're thinking about. What you're thinking about. Today we're going to get some victory in what we're thinking about, what we're thinking about. All right? The Bible says Hannah could not have children. She was crying about it. She was upset about it. She wanted children. She could not have children. Her rival was provoking her. That's another story. She went to the temple and was crying with great tears and with great pain. And the Bible says her mouth, her lips were moving, but there was no sound coming out. She looked like a mad woman. And the, pro the priest, Eli, looked at her and said... Woman, you've had too much to drink. Stop your drinking, you drunk woman. And she said, no, I am not drunk. I am in great despair. I am in a great rival. I'm in a great, great fight with my rival, and I cannot have children. I desire children. And the priest said to her, may God grant you your request. When she heard that word, hmm, it did not affect her thinking. It affected what she was thinking about what she was thinking about. How do I know? Because the Bible says when she left there, she was no longer, her face was no longer downcast. Amen? Meaning that her attitude of her mind had been renewed through the encounter with the word of God. Amen? The Bible says when David came to Ziklag, Ziklag, the town was destroyed. All his wives, children, and those of his, his army, they were all uh, taken as plunder of war. Everybody began to cry and weep until they had no more strength to weep. Then they talked of stoning David. And David pulled himself away from the people. And the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Meaning that he was changing the attitude of his mind. Eh? By changing what he was thinking about, what he was thinking about. 
Hallelujah. Paul and Silas obeyed the Lord, but they ended up beaten, thrown in prison, and locked in chains. And the Bible says, at midnight, they began to praise the Lord. They were changing what they were thinking about, what they were thinking about. They were transformed. They were made new in the spirit of their mind. Praise the Lord. This is the place of great victory, and it's also the place of great defeat. What we're thinking about, what we're thinking about. The attitude of our mind. The spirit of our mind. Not what we're thinking, but how we're thinking. See, the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. It does not say what a man thinks. So is he. It says as. Which means it's more than the material. It's our processing. It's our mental capacity engaging with, with the things. So this is very important because this is where we will either win in life or lose in life. All right, this is the place of great victory. This is the place of great defeat. Then it says specifically, our text says that this is, this is the thing actually that separates us from the Gentiles or separates us from people who don't know God. The difference between the believer and unbeliever is the way that we think. It's not how we look. It's not even we go to church and they don't go to church. Our difference, our point of demarcation is how we think. How we think. Because it says here, do not think, do not be like the Gentiles. All right? Do not be like them. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. I insist on it. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So the thing that makes Gentiles Gentiles or unbelievers unbelievers is the futility of their thinking. It says, do not be like that. But instead, however, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Do not be like them, but be made new in the attitude. The difference between the two of us is in our thinking. All right. The reason we can be different from Gentiles in the way that we think is that we have something that the Gentiles do not have. We have the promises of God that they do not have. It is the promises of God that separate us and it helps us in how we interpret everything that we encounter. The promise of God is what separates us and makes, uh, makes us unique. It's something that they don't have. It's the promises that give us the ammunition that we need to be made new in the spirit of our mind, in the attitude of our mind. Engaging the promises allows us to see beyond what we are going through or what we are experiencing. You see, if the spirit of our mind is properly renewed, if the attitude of our mind, we could be going through drama and it's not so much drama. Because the spirit of our mind gives us information above the information so that we can think about what we're thinking about. All right. If at the same time we don't have the promises of God, we could be going through the best of circumstances and we bring it down. Because we don't have the ability and the capability to see the promises above the circumstances. We, so we are really victims of the attitude of our mind. The promises of God and not just the promises, the character and the faithfulness of the one who makes the promise. It gives us a power that is not of ourselves to engage with everything else. Can somebody say amen for me or something in here? All right, let me give you an example. They liked this in the earlier service. Misu, if I told Misu, from now on I declare unto thee, O great thou Misu, I have given thee from this moment forward every single plane in the fleet of Ethiopian Airlines. It now belongs to you. Congratulations, sir. Now, the only reason he shook my hand is because I made him shake my hand. 
He was not really jumping and excited and whatever. He was being polite. The reason, I, now, I made him an amazing promise. I mean, that's a lot of value. That's a lot of assets in your account now. I gave him every fleet, every plane of Ethiopian Airlines. It's now his. But he is not engaging with that promise like he should because he knows that as great a man as I am, <laughs> I do not have the cap capacity or the ability to deliver on that promise. So his celebration is tempered. For now. Let's see what God does after these 21 days. <laughs> huh? All right, but he knows who's making the promise, therefore he says the promise, hey, hey, thank you. All right, uh, but when we're dealing with the promises of God, we're dealing with someone who not only makes great promises, but who has the ability to fulfill and cash in on every promise that he makes. In fact, not only that, it is impossible for him to lie. It is impossible for him to make a mistake. And if God has entered not just a promise, but a covenant, he is good on every way. In fact, the Bible says that every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Meaning we are dealing with something that is already finished because God is imp it's impossible for God to fail. Hallelujah. That is the strength that we have. It's not just the promise. It's the fact that the one who made the promise is faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot miss it. There is no such language or vocabulary in God, such as, whoops, whoop, a mistake. Uh, unlike us, which every other step is a blunder, God cannot, he does not know that language. He is accurate. He is perfect. He saved you with a perfect sacrifice. He delivered you with a perfect remedy. He knows exactly what you need and he cannot make a mistake. Our God is faithful and faithful to the end. So if he says even the smallest promise, he is good to keep his promise. The problem is the attitude of our mind has to engage with the promise of God so that the promise of God will be the ruling factor. The power is how we engage with the promise of God. The power is what we do with that attitude. That is the difference. Uh, it's interesting, the Bible, you know, just like God desires us to be made new in, in the attitude of our mind, the enemy's biggest weapon is also the attitude of our mind. The enemy is scared to death of what comes out of the attitude of our mind. The Bible says 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captivity and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. All right. Now, I, the thing I saw about this, it says, it says about the nature of our warfare and the nature of our weapons and the battle that we are engaged with. It says we, we have divine power to demolish strongholds and we demolish arguments. Another translation calls that word strongholds. It actually calls the word strongholds arguments. Arguments. So when the enemy really wants to mess with you, eh, he, won't, he won't bring you the monster from the horror movie. 
That's not his method of operation. That's not his weapon of choice. When the enemy really wants to mess with you, he will raise up an argument. Hmm. Why will he raise up an argument? Because when an argument is entertained in your mind, it will start to mess with the promise. And it will start to take on the promise. Look at the promise and second guess the promise. Second guess the faithfulness of God. Second guess the ability of God. And you start going down this road of will it really happen like he said. The enemy does not come with a full battalion of military weaponry. The enemy does not come with the big, big boogeyman coming out of the closet. You know boogeyman? Hmm? In fact, I would even go so far as to say, although there is place for boogeyman and there is witchcraft and there is warfare, his target, everything that he is pointing at, the sniper is pointing at the promise in your mind and replacing it with argument. We see this all the way from Eve. When the enemy wanted to take out Eve, he did not come with big weaponry. He just put a small thought. Did God really say? Imagine this. After he put the thought in, his mission was accomplished. He went home. We don't hear from the serpent again until God punished him. He just planted the thought because the power of the attitude of the mind is so strong that if it gets corrupted, we will self-destruct without the enemy. So our great enemy really is not the enemy. The great enemy in our lives is what we're thinking about, what we're thinking about. And the enemy messes with that with argument. Did God really say? In fact, it was a back and forth fight. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree? Yes, God did say. For the day that we eat, she knew the promise. But then he comes again with another argument. God didn't say that. He knows argument. And then he's out of the picture and Eve is in self-destruct mode. She's a walking time bomb waiting to explode without the help of the devil. All of us are in the mess we are today not because the witchcraft did the juju and stood on his leg and sent the spirit no 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 we are in the mess we are today because of an argument argument it's it's the enemy's weapon of choice in fact you will see when jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the enemy the enemy came with the exact same strategy that he employed on eve because god had just said a promise this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And the enemy comes with that same word, the promise, and he raises an argument. If you really are the son of God. You see what I'm saying? The argument is fighting the promise. Now thank God where Eve went wrong, Jesus went right. And we are all where we are today because of... Praise God. But the battle that took us into the mess, argument. The battle that brought us out to where we are today, argument. Your greatest fight today is the promise versus the argument. The attitude of your mind. God works with the attitude of your mind. Uh, just like the enemy attacks the attitude of your mind, God works with the attitude of your mind. God opens doors with the attitude of your mind. God changes things with the attitude of your mind. Hmm. Remember, we were talking about Hannah. What was Hannah's greatest problem? She could not have children. 
And because she could not have children, it affected what she was thinking about, what she was thinking about. Until the promise came and she was no longer downcast. Meaning she didn't change her circumstance. She just changed how she saw her circumstance. She filtered her circumstance through the promise of God. The promise of God caused her face to be uplifted in the midst of difficult situation. And the Bible says, and God heard Hannah. And God heard Hannah, saw the need and opened the door. Opened her womb to have children. And not only did she have children, she had a child. She gave birth to Samuel. Samuel who became the greatest prophet Israel has ever known. When God hears and when God opens, it's exceedingly above anything you ask or imagine. But the breakthrough began with an attitude of the mind shift. Hallelujah. The Bible says that after David encouraged himself in the Lord, he said, bring the ephod to me. And he inquired and God said, pursue. And the Bible says that David recovered everything that the enemies had stolen from him. Hallelujah. The enemies, the lost possessions, his family, everybody that was taken was recovered in great fashion. And God restored the glory. In fact, the crown Saleh preached one time was brought to Ziklag. But all of that began with a shift in the attitude of the mind. Not even in the great Africa Arise conference. Hmm? It began with his own. In fact, he was at the lowest of the low and he just did some little contemplating. Encouraged himself in the Lord. Attitude of the mind. Oh, hallelujah. And do I need to tell you about Paul and Silas? This, this verse on Paul and Silas, I think it's preached at least in 50% of the churches around the world, probably even on this Sunday. The Bible says that as they praised God, the situation was difficult. They could not change what they were thinking about. So they changed what they were thinking about, what they were thinking about. And they began to praise God because we are people of promise. God cannot lie. On what grounds are you praising God when you've lost anything? Well, I know it's difficult. I know I've lost everything. I know it's hurting now because I've been beaten. Come on, somebody. He says, but wait a minute. We have a God who is faithful to his promise. God does not make promises and come back on his promises. God is not like Pastor Z who makes promises that he cannot fulfill. For now. All right. God is faithful. So because we have a faithful God who has faithful promises, who can, they killed the argument, which was tempted to complain about being unjustly served this sentence. And they began to praise God. And the Bible says that an earthquake came, shook the foundations of the prison. All the chains came loose. I'm not preaching that like I should. The foundations of the temple, of the prison were shaken. All the chains came loose. You know how we're supposed to sing that. But the point is, it did not begin. The shaking, the changing, it did not begin because God felt bad for them. It began when they shifted. God worked with the attitude of their minds. And today I want to tell somebody who's coming to this church with an argument. And nothing but an argument. That today, I hit that argument in Jesus' name with the promise of a faithful God that you should never doubt, that you should never let go of because He will never let go of you. I love what it says about God. The promise says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Two things. He didn't say, I will never leave you. That's one thing. But he says, I will never leave you and forsake you. Meaning, I will be present physically. But you know, you can be present physically and absent 
You know, you can betray, but still be. But he says, I'm not only going to be present, I'm also going to be. I will never forsake you while I'm with you. Praise the name of the Lord. We have a God who cannot fail. Therefore, the attitude of our mind graduates today to the level of God. Hallelujah. To the level of his promise. You know, the the Bible says that when it speaks about about, um, Joshua and Caleb, God testified about them. He says, "Not, not one of these people will inherit the promised land that I'm about to give them. None except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they serve me with a different spirit. Hmm. Now what was it about this different spirit? The Bible says everybody brought the report eh, according to what they saw. But Joshua and Caleb, they brought the report as it was in their heart. Meaning that they saw what everybody saw. But they factored what they saw with the promise of God. And they said, because we have promise, the promise is greater. The argument is killed in our minds. The argument dies because we held on to the promise. Are you following what I'm saying? And God said, that's what I'm going to work with right there. And two people inherited the whole land. You see, the land is easy. What's difficult is the attitude of our mind. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Do you know the reason why we are here? It's because God made a promise. He made a promise about this land. The reason we are here is because God spoke about it. That's what we know. We are not super proud Ethiopians. I mean, we're proud Ethiopians, but you, you know what I'm saying. It's not the love of country that brought us here. We love the country, but that's not why we're here. God spoke something. God spoke something. Um, we went to Israel several years ago. Actually, the first time when I went to Israel. And for me, I don't like so much Disneyland or, you know, what Eiffel Tower or Paris or Dubai. I like the, the Holy Land because that's what I've been studying my whole life. So it's like that's the real Disneyland because you get to see where everything happened. You don't go, or I don't know what you pray, you don't read the, 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 the manual for Disneyland, you read the Bible. So going to the Bible, you actually see what you're reading. That was quite an experience. Oh, don't look at me at that tone of voice. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help this church today. Help them with what they're thinking about, what they're thinking about. In Jesus' name. But one of the things that surprised me when I went to Israel is that we went to Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world, if not the oldest city. And I thought it was interesting because Jericho, I remembered the Bible, I looked at everything, and Jericho, the old city, it's nothing but all around Jericho, and you can see the Jordan River over there, and and the Jordan, the, the whole area is nothing but desert. And I thought this was interesting because I remember reading in my Bible, it says, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan, eh, they entered and camped on the plains of Jericho. All right? And, and the thing that was troubling for me is that I remember God had promised them that I'm going to bring you to a land that's flowing, flowing with milk and honey. And God brought them to a land that looked like desert. So I went home that night and I looked at my scripture and I saw, sure enough, it says, and the, the, the children of Israel camped on the west side of the Jordan on the desert plain of Jericho. It was a desert now and it was a desert back then. And I said, God, well, what happened to the milk and honey? 
How? I mean, this is not fair. I mean, they've already been in the desert 40 years with a promise that they would come into the land flowing with milk and honey. And there's no milk and honey. You know, understand when you have milk and honey, desert cannot produce milk and honey. Can I do the math for you? Yeah? Honey comes from bees. Bees need pollen and nectar to make the nectar that you use to make, you know, the process. So if there's no flowers to pollinate the air, there can be no bees to take the honey. The desert cannot produce the honey. Cows, they make milk. That's where milk comes from. But the way the cow makes the milk is it eats the grass that's green. There is no grass in the desert. I did not see a blade of grass in Jericho. Not even produced in a, a, a laboratory. So I said, God, where is the milk and honey? And the Lord reminded me of something. Ooh, and I got so blessed. I did not bring them into a land. I, 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 he said, I, 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 the, the promise was to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. The blessing is in the promise, not in the land. And then he reminded, you see, see, if God said milk and honey, it doesn't matter what it looks like because God cannot lie. God will bring the milk and honey if he said milk and honey. So if there's desert, just keep walking because milk and honey is not tied to the land. Milk and honey is tied to the promise of God who cannot fail. Praise the Lord. And then I got blessed because I remembered that the children were of Israel, they came out of their father, Abraham. Abraham, who was made a promise to have many children, and there was no children. They're going through the same process as their father. You will be the father of many nations, but you don't even have a single son. But the blessing is not in your womb. The blessing is in the promise. The fulfillment is in the promise. And God cannot lie. So what God was expecting for their forefather, Abraham, was to take the promise and be transformed, be made new in the spirit of his mind. And he's expecting the same thing of his, his descendants when they came to their promised land, that they would also be made new in the spirit of their mind. Which reminds me that even now today in this land, in this continent, what God has spoken, but I'm bringing this message home now. Hmm? Do you know God said, God spoke uh, how rivers of living water will flow from this place. That blessing would flow from this. That in fact this nation which has been known for so long as the poorest, the famine, the war, that it would be a leading nation. That God's blessing will come to the point that the hands of begging turn into the hands of blessing. That was what God said. I was in Washington, D.C., ministering there with my family, with Sally. And then the Lord spoke this word. I don't have time to get into it now. But I saw the river of God. I saw the blessing. And we came so full of faith. But we came in the year 2004-2005. In a Maringya calendar, Zat Anasabat. Now, if you remember that particular year, that was the most chaotic year, perhaps, that this country had known in a long time. There was all kinds of drama, political drama, killing drama, tanks on the street drama. Are you following? Yeah, remember that? Some of you remember. Some of you were not born yet. Mm. So I remember it, it, it looked like for a minute that God had, had, had messed up on his promise. You know, God made, oops, oh, sorry, did I say? Oh, my, I'm sorry. Pastor Z, go back. We're trying to see what, what's going on. It was chaos. And I remember a word at our church at that time. It was very small. And Sally was preaching. 
And uh, it, was a it was a time when actually we, we had to cancel some Sundays because it just it wasn't safe to go outside. And Saleh got up and preached. And I'm, I was more worried for Saleh than for me. Because, I mean, I grew up predominantly in many places of the world, but in Kenya. And Kenya, you know, we, we know about election drama, political drama, chaos, economic crisis. It's just every election cycle. Stay home, lock the doors, buy enough food for the rest of the year. Sijui, yeah. Some people know what I'm talking about. All right? So this was, but Saleh, he comes from Oklahoma, you understand? The most drama that you have in Oklahoma is when the flea jumped from the cow and went onto the horse. It's like, wow, did that really happen? <laughs> so I, and I remember Saleh was preaching that day. And, and Saleh had this word from the Lord. And he said, he, he was preaching about Paul and Silas in prison. How after the earthquake came, the chains fell off. And the Bible says that the prison warden was about to kill himself because he was sure that all of the prisoners had escaped and he would be in trouble. And he was about to kill himself and Paul, who was still in the prison with his chains off. He said, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. And then he shifts into his Saleh mode and says, we are still here. 2005 election drama, we are still here. We have a promise of God, and this is a desert situation, but we are not going anywhere. We are still here. And in that season, that word became like a rallying cry for us. We are still here. I know it's drama, earthquake, shaking, but this shaking is for our good. We are still here, and we're still here. Yes. Same promise. But what I, what I took away from that is that in the, in the argument, we look at that and we run like Elijah did. But when you take the argument and put the promise on top, you see, our advantage is not in our circumstances. It's not that we have superior circumstances. Our advantage is that we have superior promises. If you have superior promises from the superior promise giver, you are always at an advantage. So we are advantaged today not because of what we have or what we've attained or what we've achieved. We are an advantage today because we have superior promises. This land, hallelujah, God will give us this land. In fact, what it says about Joshua and Caleb, and I always hold on to this. At the end of their life of Joshua, the Bible says not one of the good promises that the Lord God made failed to come to pass. He fulfilled everyone. Now this is interesting. The generation before Joshua, they had the same promises. But it almost looked like God could not fulfill his promises because that generation perished in the desert. But it's not because God cannot fulfill his promises. It's because in their mind, they allowed the argument to overcome the promise. Whereas Joshua, in the same circumstances, allowed the promise to victory over the argument. And God took that promise and caused them to fulfill. It says God fulfilled everyone. I am looking forward to the day when God fulfills every one of the promises on this land. On this land. Because he said every one of the promises is fulfilled. I see the Olympics being hosted in Addis Ababa. I noticed all the, only the Ethiopians clapped. 
you know, to be able to host the Olympics, you have to meet certain economic and stability criteria. They don't send the world's top athletes to countries that are dysfunctional. Functional uh, countries. Countries that have fulfilled the promise of God. Standards that the world has not seen yet. Innovation and blessing and creativity being released on a level that the world says, how did that happen? Even now, I don't want to talk too much politics, but let me just, in, in, in short, what's happening in our nation now, although we're experiencing what, you know, it's birth pains, birth pains, it's not unto death, it's birth pains. We are experiencing a political revolution on a principle of love not on a you know we are somebody who works somewhere was sharing with me some information <laughs> but they were saying um, political science theory as we know it is being shattered in Ethiopia now because love is not a language that is found in the realm of politics the best we hear of in politics is peace. That's the closest they come to love. peace and security. Love, no, 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 love is, is not. But in this nation we are seeing, perhaps that has never been seen before in the world of political science, how powerful a tool love can be in shaping political policy. Not one of the Lord's good promises failed to come to pass. Every one of them was fulfilled. I believe that by the time this thing is over, there will come such solution from this region. Such solution. It is not by might. It is not by power. It's by the Spirit of God. I feel in my spirit that somebody came in today. You're still a Christian. It's not the fact that you're not saved. But you've come in with argument. And I, today I just want to invade and pierce that argument in the name of Jesus. With the promise of your faithful God. Your God is faithful. He will finish what he started. Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. Do not look at your economic situation and make major decisions. Do not look at the, the cloud of storm that's coming your way and make decisions. God works with joy. God works with encourage yourself in the Lord. God works with praise at midnight. God works with holding on to the promise and says God will give us this land because he has promised. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. I come against, see the Bible says we demolish strongholds and every argument. I come against every argument now in Jesus' name. I break every argument that has lied to you now in Jesus' name. You have a promise from a faithful God. Never second guess your God. Never doubt your God. And, uh, uh, serve your God. Honor your God when you understand him. And serve him when you don't understand him. Because he is always fighting for you. He is always working for you. If he has sent his son for your sins, how much more will he give you all things? You don't understand how you are the apple of his eye. He's not going anywhere. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't go anywhere. Hold on to his promise. His promise will get us through anything we are facing. I would like everybody to stand. David said when he was repenting for his sin... 
he, he told the Lord, he said, create a right spirit in me, uh, create, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. And he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And I thought that was an interesting saying in Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There is a joy that comes with salvation. But it is, imp but it is possible to be saved and miss your joy. That thought I found was interesting. Um, salvation is one thing, but if it's not, if we've lost the joy, what good is our salvation? Where's the power in our salvation if we've lost the joy? I want to encourage somebody today. Come back to the joy of salvation. Isn't it a blessing just to be saved? David lost that for a minute and he got scared. I thank God just to be saved, just to be part of his family, just for him to be father and me to be his child. Hallelujah to your name, Father God. Not just salvation, but an attitude, a renewed attitude toward my salvation. Thank you, Father God. Because if we've had the joy of our salvation, I think we've understood the point of everything. In this world, I might get into this next week a little bit. It's so easy to lose the joy of salvation. To be saved but not have the joy. May the Lord restore and revive the joy once again. It's a joy to be His. It's a joy to be in His family. It's a joy to have Him as Father. It pales, it causes every other challenge to pale in comparison. Father, we bless you right now. Father, we glorify you right now. I kill the argument now, hallelujah. Let it melt in the presence of God. You are a faithful God. You are a loving God. You are good. We don't entertain the argument, Father God, but we kill it in Jesus' name. We put it to the sword in Jesus' name. Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah, and he reigns over us. You are the lion, you are the lamb, you are the good shepherd. You provide for us, you who began the work, you will finish it, Father God. We stand here, Father God, to just declare the faithfulness of your promise. We stand here today, Father God, to say you are able to fulfill every good word, no matter how bad it looks, Father God. We rise above now. Father God, we are new in the attitude of our minds. It's good to be saved. It's good to be a child. It's good to have eternal home. It's good to have promise for tomorrow. Hallelujah. Just bless the Lord right now. I was telling them in Zambia that thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. Thank God for the laying on of hands. We believe in all of that. We engage in all of that. But there is no power as powerful as the attitude of your mind. In fact, the, the, the prophecy lives. God had promised the children of Israel, I will bring you in. But the first generation out of Egypt, they, they did not fulfill because their minds, not because they did not have miracles. No generation experienced the miracles of the generation that came out of Egypt. 
no gen, but all of them were perished in the wilderness. They fell short, not because God could not deliver, but because of the attitude of their minds. Yes. The second generation, Joshua generation, they possessed everything. Same promise, same God, different attitude of the mind. I kill the argument today. Yeah, I kill the argument today. Kill the argument today. just to take this word and see in our lives where argument has prevailed over promise and do what David did do what Hannah did do what Paul and Silas did do what Joshua and Caleb did do what Daniel did do what Esther did do what Abraham did do what Gideon did are we following what I'm saying put the promise above everything our God is big he's great Father, in the name of Jesus, we exalt your promise today. You are faithful, you have done it, and you will do it again. We have a testimony, there's prophecy in the testimony. We're serving a God who cannot fail. So we rise up to the challenge today, Father God. We embrace every promise. We say yes and amen. We rejoice now. Hallelujah. We give you praise now. We lift your name now. We thank you, Father God. You're not here to play games with us. You are here to fulfill your word. We thank you that you will fulfill every word. We thank you that the blessing of God shall work with the attitude of the mind. Flood this place with your presence, with your victory, with your faith, with your help, Father God. I go, I pray you go out with every problem in our lives and demonstrate the power of promise. Open up the things that were closed. Father God, hear what you did not hear before. Father God, bring the earthquake, bring the flood, bring the signs, bring the blessing. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. I want promised people only to begin to clap and give God a praise.